Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Synex Premium Diesel. Synex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day as we wrap up the week and kick off a new month. Here we are now in the month of November, getting ready for the time change this weekend. Don't forget to set those clocks back an hour. I'm never ready for that. Just a reminder to do it anyway as we uh, make that change this weekend. Well, glad you have joined us, and we're going to talk about a number of things today. The ag economy, ag bankruptcies are up. We're going to talk about that with Joe Glober, former USDA chief economist, now a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute. His thoughts on the uh, condition of the ag economy. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, will join us. His thoughts on the RFS hearings that have been held this week. Uh, one in Congress, one uh, public hearing that was held in Michigan. And as we talked about yesterday with the National Milk Producers Federation, more reaction to this uh, proposed change in the guest worker program, what it would mean for the apple industry. We'll look today uh, at that issue with Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. The produce industry is very much impacted by this labor situation. They're more of a seasonal uh, aspect, of course. We talked yesterday about how dairy is uh, full-time year-round, but uh, this uh, legislation has a big impact on uh, the produce industry, and we'll focus in on the apple industry on our program today. But we're going to start things off with Jerry Hagstrom from the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thanks for joining us. Obviously, the, the big news this week's been going on with the impeachment situation, but it, it has been a busy week uh, in in Washington on a number of ag fronts as well. Uh, indeed it has. I think the most significant thing is Nancy Pelosi's enthusiasm for the uh, U.S.-Mexico-Canada Agreement on Trade. Uh, she had a, said at a press conference that the, uh, that the House is, is moving towards yes on the agreement. And she kind of poo-poos the concern that, it, that they can't get it passed at the same time that they're doing impeachment. And I'm quite surprised at how enthusiastic she seems to be. Uh, and I think it's a very good omen for getting USMCA done this year. And, but that could be impeachment-related, couldn't it, in that it, because of what's going on and the criticism the Democrats have received about focusing only on the impeachment, that may make them want to even more get something else done and something very visible, uh, such as USMCA. Indeed. I think that's exactly right, that uh, the Democrats want to prove that they can govern at the same time that they are uh, conducting the impeachment uh, inquiry. Uh, actually, I do think that there is a lingering question about Republican support for the agreement, particularly from the southeast, because those southeastern members are still not satisfied because the agreement won't stop surges of produce coming in from Mexico. So we'll st we, we'll st we still have a Republican question as well as a Democratic question here related to yeah, USMCA. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. Meanwhile, 
we'll see how this plays out too. We still have spending issues to be resolved, and and a part of that. It's interesting the different approaches. USDA announcing they found office space now in downtown Kansas City for those research agencies to move there. But as far as funding is concerned, the House uh, approach to the spending bill actually denies funding for that move, while the Senate uh, provides funding for it. Yes. Uh, now I think that the, that you that it would be really hard to actually stop uh, uh, the move. Uh, because the you know USD I mean the USD has to pay rent somewhere for those uh, uh, for those offices, um, but the there's extra money in the in the Senate bill to to make the the move uh, easier, uh, but not in the not in the House bill. Uh, but to me, the big issue is still that there so many people left the Economic Research Service and the National Institute for Food and Agriculture. That a lot of the jobs are not filled, and so in the long run, I think we still have questions about how many of the jobs in those two agencies are going to be in Kansas City and how many they're going to be in Washington. The headquarters for those jobs remain in Washington, and and uh, a substantial number of support people are still in Washington. So if if a future administration wanted to move positions back to Washington, they could always do that. Meanwhile, the search is on for a place for a possible signing of U.S.-China, at least partial trade agreement. It's not going to be in Chile, it looks like. Uh, what are you hearing? Uh, right. Uh, well, I'm not hearing about a location except that the White House says that they're going to, it's going to be signed around the same time. And I think Trump uh, said uh, or that, it's, that the, this phase one agreement will be about 60%. But we've also had reports this week that the Chinese are balking about this promise that they're going to buy 40 to 50 billion dollars of uh, of U.S. ag products. They're saying that you know they want to buy this basically when the prices are good. Uh, you know the the phrase is they want to buy it under market conditions, but that just means they want to buy whatever they're buying at the cheapest price they can get anywhere in the world. So we'll have to see what the details of this are are like. Of course, U.S. prices have been low because we've had we have such an excess supply because we haven't been exporting to China, so they might buy from us. But then again, they might buy from Brazil and other places. And we're going to be discussing again today the uh, new uh, proposed legislation for an ag labor bill, it's making some changes in the H-2A guest worker program. Are you hearing anything about its chances of moving forward? First, I want to say I haven't seen so much enthusiasm from a group of ag lobbyists for anything. Uh, uh, maybe I, I suppose when the 2018 Farm Bill went through, but to see all these people gathered together behind a bipartisan group of Congress, uh, as uh, uh, Jim Baer, whom you're going to have on your program, said, this is legislating the way we used to do it before the partisanship became so bitter. Uh, so ag is really enthusiastic about this, uh, most of ag at least. The, the, Nash, the American Farm Bureau has not yet endorsed it, but all the commodity groups have and the, and the California Farm Bureau Federation. So I see a lot of enthusiasm, uh, but apparently the White House has told McClatchy newspapers they're not enthusiastic about it. Uh, you know, they don't really, the White House doesn't really like anything that eases immigration despite what they say about the, you know, being committed to the farmers. So 
a kind of risky path for for this uh, proposal, but uh, it's a uh, it's a it's better than nothing. It's a start. Yeah, and we're waiting to see Farm Bureau's position on this. I was talking with uh, uh, in communication yesterday with some folks at AFBF, and they said they're reviewing it still going over it internally and uh, we're still waiting for some type of uh, a position and announcement from the american farm bureau on it all right uh, jerry good to talk with you again thanks a lot thank you talk to you soon all right take care jerry hagstrom from the hagstrom report well we'll talk more about that uh, proposed change for the guest worker program and that how it addresses the ag labor situation jim bear president and ceo of the u.s apple association joins me next here on aoa adams on agriculture the sounds of success vary from person to person Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. The U.S. Apple Association is applauding the introduction of the bipartisan Farm Workforce Modernization Act, which would bring reform to the guest worker program, the H-2A visa program that we talk a lot about, and uh, concerns uh, over the existing program and not truly addressing and being able to meet the needs of today's agriculture when it comes to providing a stable workforce. Joining us now is the president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association, Jim Baer. Jim, good to talk with you again. What do you like about this bill? Well, Mike, it's good to be with you. Uh, you know, I hear from family farmers all the time who had to leave more than $100,000 worth of apples on the trees because they couldn't find people to, to pick them. And as an old farm boy myself, that just breaks my heart. Uh, we like the bill because it would do several important things. And let me just first um, sort of clarify for, for your listeners who might not be uh, expert in all this. There's, there's two sort of buckets of ag workers in this country. There are those under the, as you mentioned, the H. Illegal way that a, a person could come to the U.S. and work in agriculture. And that's temporary. It's usually a month or two months long. They come, they work, they take their money, and they go home, whether, wherever that's from. And then there's uh, a large number of ag workers that are here without proper documentation. Could be uh, a million and a half or more. And uh, what the what this bill would do if passed, and uh, we're working very hard uh, to to try to get it passed, is for the first time it would bring those people out of the shadows. Uh, they'd pay a thousand dollar fine to get right with the law, and then they would have. Uh, a new certification to be able to work here legally. It's not amnesty. This has nothing to do with building border walls. This is just trying to help agriculture find the labor that it needs. And I know it's no surprise to your listeners that in agriculture right now, margins are razor thin and in many cases negative. And so for labor-intensive segments of agriculture, this is really critical. 
Are there some areas that you still hope to be able to work on, maybe tweak a little bit as it moves forward? Well, it's not a perfect bill, and no bill is. And, and what's remarkable is that in this Congress, which is so partisan and very little gets done because of that partisanship, you know, a lot of bickering, a lot of a lot of just uh, unwillingness to work together. And frankly, it's it's amazing to see the members of Congress, uh, conservative Republicans, liberal Democrats, literally from New York to California and from Washington State to Florida coming together in recognition that agriculture has has uh, very dramatic labor needs right now uh some good things in the bill one is that it would it would cap wage increases and for those uh, growers who are in the h2a program some states saw increases last year and this year of more than 20 percent well if your margins are negative and labor is your number one expense that's untenable and that's going to cause growers to go out of business if that continues. The bill would cap those H-2A wages at annual increases of 3.25%. Now, that would be dramatic uh, change and a, and a much-needed improvement. Um, you know, it's got, like any bill, it's going to work its way through the system. Uh, it needs to get out of the House committee. It needs to get a House floor vote. And then there needs to be a companion bill in the Senate. But it's a great start, and we're really super excited and we are applauding the, those many members of Congress that have already jumped on as co-sponsors. I mentioned this yesterday when talking with the National Milk Producers Federation. It seems to me to be a huge step, a very positive step, in that they're willing to carve out a, a, a segment and work on it in particular before it seems like if we couldn't get one overall immigration bill done then nothing was going to get done that's kind of where we've been but here it's kind of taking okay let's take this segment and move forward with this this is something we can do that that seems very positive it is and we're for the first time you know we've never really had an opportunity to work closely with the dairy farmers and it's been a great partnership uh, specialty crops fruits and vegetables dairy uh, and by the way, dairies, uh, dairy farmers have never had uh, an ability to tap into a, a, a workforce like this. They've never been able to participate in the H-2A program. And this bill would, for the first time, allow dairy farmers to uh, have workers from a legal visa program. And that's a huge difference from, from uh, the current status and also in, in former bills that have been presented. So, uh, yeah, we're super excited. We've, we've got a really good coalition working on this. And, uh, you know, if agriculture is going to continue to be robust and, and expand in this country, we've got to have access to workers. It's, it's our feeling that the U.S. is either going to import the labor or we're going to import the food. And with all of the U.S.'s natural advantages, it just makes sense to us to grow the food here. We're talking with Jim Baer, president and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. You mentioned that you got to get a companion bill in the Senate. Anyone working on that? There are, and uh, I think there's some members that have, uh, that have quietly sort of indicated that they're ready to go. So as soon as we can get this thing moving in the House, uh, we've got a long way to go, and with immigration and and uh, so forth being on the front page of the newspaper every day. It's kind of a superheated environment here in Washington right now to try to get something done like this. But that makes it all the more special that these members of Congress have come together to 
in a commitment to work together. And as I said, there are some very conservative Republicans and some very liberal Democrats that are co-sponsoring this bill. And uh, I haven't seen that in, in my more than 30 years of, of working uh, on these kinds of issues. This is the first time that I can recall in, in years that um, people have come together to do something like this for agriculture. It just underlines how important it is. You mentioned that this is not amnesty because that's a word that's even the concept of that is a deal breaker for many. So if you can avoid that uh, uh, that issue, then that seems like uh, that's a big step forward as well. Words matter. You're right, Mike. And uh, we don't even use that word because that's really not what it is. Um, as I said, that for those workers who are here with without proper documentation currently, uh, they're already here, so we need to get used to it and figure out a way to have them, help them get right with the law, and that's why we say it does not provide amnesty. These people would pay a substantial fine. Uh, there'd be a, a significant process that they would have to go through it and uh, to, to achieve a, a legal work status. But gosh, you know, you talk to anybody that's, uh, that's, that has ag labor needs and everybody, doesn't matter if they're growing apples or they're milking cows or they're growing vegetables uh, in the Southwest, everybody has this, has this problem. And uh, we just think it makes all the sense in the world to get it fixed. It's, it's, it's way past time to do this. Now, we think of your industry being more seasonal workers. We talked yesterday about dairy. They're looking at wanting to retain workers. Uh, do you do you have this, the retention issue? Is that a big one for the apple growers too, the apple industry? Yes, uh, we we lose them to other industries like you know hotel construction in in Florida and things like that, and so we want to keep them in agriculture. But of course, you know that uh, just like you and me, we would go anywhere for the right opportunity. Um, so we do need to keep these uh, workers in agriculture. Um, dairy has never dairy farmers have never had that opportunity. We use uh, seasonal labor more than just at harvest. We'll have uh, seasonal workers come into the apple industry in the spring to do pruning and and maybe in the summer to do uh, mowing and spraying and then in the fall for for harvesting. And that's a, another improvement that this bill would make over the current system, which is currently those three. Uh, production steps that I mentioned, each would require a separate uh, contract. It's very cumbersome, very bureaucratic, uh, very expensive. It costs about $2,000 per worker because you have to pay for their transportation to get to your farm. You have to pay for their transportation while they're living in your community so they can get to the grocery store and so forth. Um, so $2,000 per worker, that's and that's uh, significant. So a, a small farmer who might take 100 uh, people at a time, uh, that's $200,000. If you're a medium to large size grower and you're bringing in 1,000 workers, you've spent $2 million on labor, and that's before the first apple gets picked. So the bill would streamline that where you would have one contract and you would tell the government, I'm going to bring in workers in the spring to do pruning. I'm going to bring in workers in the summer, and I'm going to bring them in the fall, and it would all be in one package. It would be much better. So a ways to go, but a big step has been taken in the House, and uh, we'll keep a close watch on this uh, uh, ag labor bill and the 
hopefully improvements to the, these very important issues. Jim, good to talk with you. Thanks, Mike. Jim Baer, President and CEO of the U.S. Apple Association. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. An hour into Friday's trading session, we are trending higher in soybean futures, two to six and a fraction better. New crop November soybeans erased intraday weakness on Thursday to close marginally higher. The soybean contract approached but did not touch 40-day moving average support. Buyers emerging to support the bean market on the intraday dip yesterday. On the downside, new support forming at 9.10 and a half. An hour in on this Friday, we're at 9.23 and a quarter, up six and a half. New soybean export sales totaling 943,600 metric tons for the week, up 99% from the previous week, but down 39% from the prior four-week average. In corn, not much change. An hour in on this Friday, December corn settled marginally lower on Thursday, but near the session highs, December up a half cent, 390 and a half. In the wheats, Minneapolis December up two at 526. Chicago wheat December up two and a half at 511 and a quarter. Kansas City wheat December up three and a quarter at 423. Livestock of the Merck and live cattle futures December up 40 at 117.62. February up 42 at 122.77. Feeder cattle, November down 27, 147.32. January down 47 at 144.20. We've seen cash cattle sales so far on the week at 112, $2 better compared to a week ago. Lean hog futures, December down $1.82 at 64.17. The Dow up 234, NASDAQ up 79, S&P up 25, December crude oil in New York up $1.03. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air, taking care of the people you love, and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres. That's smart. With Credence Soybeans, you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres. And that Credence variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your BASF team. So plant your sign of success. Talk to your authorized Credence retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Farm bankruptcies have reached their highest level since 2011 and are up 24% since last year. I want to talk about that with Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, thanks for joining us again. Uh, what stands out to you about those numbers that I just mentioned? Uh, how concerned are you about those? Well, I, I, look, anytime, anytime you see farm bankruptcies, Jump by 24 percent. You got to got to look at it uh, pretty closely. I mean, these are remember, you know, we we we've been tracking Chapter 12 bankruptcies uh, since the mid 80s, and um, you know, five. We've been in this range of between 450 and and 700 or so, really for about the last 15 years or so. Yeah, as you mentioned, the last time we had. Um, 
levels higher than this was really right following the the recession. Uh, so 2010, 2011, they were up in the 700, six, a little 700, 600 range. Um, so they're getting up to that level again. But remember, remember where we were in the mid 1980s, which I always like to point out to people that that things are bad, but but we were up in the 5000s, so 10 times this level. Um, you know, back in the mid 80s when we were when when you know uh, those of uh, listeners who remember the the mid 80s remember those were tough times, and and so I think we're a long way from that. Uh, but again, uh, no question, we've had five years of pretty low, you know, or lower prices, and. Um, you know, the, the trade stuff hasn't helped at all. You always have to be careful making blanket statements because, of course, every individual situation and operation is 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 different and uni- has unique uh, situations and circumstances. But when we look overall, we say, well, where would we be without the the market facilitation payments, disaster aid, and things like that? But I guess any year you could you could point that out. If you took out any sort of government programs or payments, it would make a huge difference. Yeah, no, I mean, look, uh, government payments are a big part of U.S. agriculture, have been since the 1930s. Um, you know, we've had periods where, where that's declined. Certainly, if you were to go back to, um, you know, 2011 and uh, 10, 11, those, you know, those were the go-go years. We had uh, real high grain prices, and and so a lot of the counter-cyclical-type payments that would normally be high when prices were low they just, you know, we weren't making any payments on that. Um, I, I know there's been a, uh, I, I, I saw a piece talking about just how big farm payments were uh, for for 2019. Uh, that is looking at the most recent uh, USDA estimates. And frankly, you know, they were about similar levels in 2016, so long before the market facilitation payments. And, you know, you go back to the 2000, early 2000s, and you remember when prices really collapsed in the late 90s. Um, all of a sudden, Congress passed a lot of supplemental le- legislation. We had a lot of payments that, that went out at the time. And, and those were, you know, for net, if you compare it to net farm income, they were about 40%. Net cash income, uh, less. And I think that's the other thing is, remember, net farm income is a, is a measure that we use uh, to help generate the GDP accounts. And so we, we take out changes in inventory. We assume all the production is marketed in that calendar year, you know, which we know isn't true. Uh, farmers make marketing decisions based on prices and other things. And so the net cash income for a cash flow basis, I always think, is, is a much better um, measure kind of, of, of the near-term health of, of, the, of the economy. But, you know, uh, look, Headlines like our uh, figures like that make good headlines, and people, you know, um, talk a lot about it. I mean, there's no question that the economy's been soft, though. And um, and as you point out, it, it, you know, you can talk a lot about the aggregate, so we talk about farm income, but buried in that is just a whole range of outcomes for individual farms. And, I mean, we all know that in, even in years when we have record corn yields, there's going to be some farms that get crop insurance payments because they had poor yields. And so uh, that's certainly true with farm income. Um, you know, uh, the other thing that uh, I, I, I don't like the comparison with bankruptcies for, 
for non-farm businesses because they're much, much higher, and people like to point that out. But, you know, the, the bar to get into farming is pretty high. You have to get capital to, to buy machinery or rent machinery or rent land and all that. And so um, typically, you know, this isn't something that's just setting up a small business and, and then, you know, if things go the wrong way, you get, you, you know, declare bankruptcy. Farming's, you know, you, you don't get in that just on a whim. Um, uh, so I think that, that we have to look at the, the bankruptcy levels with that in mind as well, too, that I think that these are, uh, you know, anytime we see them going up or trending up, then you certainly want to watch that. Talking with Joe Glauber, Senior Research Fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Joe, you, you referenced the 80s, and we always make those comparisons. Of where are we now compared to the 80s? Of course, one of the big, big differences, interest rates, which uh, continue to go down now. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. And you remember, I mean, a lot of the trouble that we got into in the 80s was the fact that uh, there was so much borrowing in, in the late 1970s, and, and that was done. You know, we had high inflation. We had a lot of things going on, um, but and, and we had government programs, loan programs that were pretty generous in terms of uh, you know loaning people based on on asset values, and, and and of course farm farm real estate prices were going up and up and up, and all that when the when interest rates started really taking off and that and and if we got inflation under control then then all of a sudden the, the bite was pretty hard um, for the sector and you know all of a sudden our, our market prices were well below loan rates we couldn't sell anything in global markets uh, we don't you know it's not quite the same here and and certainly land values which I think people have watched pretty carefully over the last several years you know they slowed over the last four or five years uh, with just marginal appreciation from year to year, but they haven't been dropping, and I think that's something, too, to, uh, uh, you know, compared to the 80s. I think lenders actually have been, the other thing is lending practices aren't nearly as, um, I mean, we, we do see a few uh, more operating loans being, um, where land's been used as collateral, but I, I think the, the days where farms were acquiring a lot of land based on their collateral, uh, you know, those those certainly are. Uh, we don't see nearly the, the amount of expansion, other sorts of things that we saw in the '80s, based on farms' collateral. Uh, they make banks are making that cash flow pretty pretty effectively. I think. Before we let you go, we've we've talked quite a bit recently about your thoughts on uh, the China trade situation. Uh, if they can find a location to do it, it looks like there's maybe going to be this partial deal done, although we've heard some uh, things from China that are a little concerning about uh, uh, their approach to this, maybe not as, as positive as we'd heard earlier. but So it still remains uh, up in the air somewhat, but it looks like uh, this could be a positive step forward. How do you, how do you view this uh, latest situation with China? Yeah, I, I, Mike, I, w- I would agree. I think it's, it's positive. I've never... I've been very skeptical of the numbers that were thrown out originally, um, and and have thought of those, you know, in the in the range of a two-year total. So uh, that would, but that would be a good thing to get us back to the levels that we were at prior to this trade war starting. Um, uh, but I I have read probably the same reports you've read where there's a lot of skepticism now coming out about whether or not China is going to commit 
to those numbers for an annual on an annual basis. But uh, I do think we're going to get back to seeing, and we already have uh, seen more uh, soy import purchases for sure. And 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 it would be great. It would be a real victory if, uh, as well as if we could see uh, you know something happen on on the uh, feed grain uh, side of things. So not to fall in that trap again that China solves all problems. Uh, there's no denying it would be a significant step forward and improvement for the ag economy if uh, they up their purchases. Yeah, I think I, I think that's right. And 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 if it if if the market could take some certainty out of it as well, or you know, mm-hmm. think that this is going to be something that that is uh, going to be there, then I I think then. Um, and, and, and think, you know, at the same time, you know, the USDA has made a lot of efforts trying to open other markets. And we'll see how those those things may start to bear some fruit as well. So it could be could be positive in the long run. Um, uh, but I'm hesitant to say anything about the U.S.-China relations uh, until I see, uh, you know, a few months go by and, and uh, take some positive signs uh, that things are improving. Yeah, because it seems to change day to day almost. Yeah, it keeps me in business. What can I say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in a lot of ways, uh, talking about it, speculating about it, and everything else, uh, it's, it's a full-time job, that's for sure. Joe, thank you. Always good to get your perspective. We appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Have a good weekend. Take care. You too. Joe Glauber, former USDA chief economist, now senior research fellow at the Institute Food Policy uh, for the International Food Policy Research Institute. Well, it has been a busy week. On the RFS, the Renewable Fuel Standard, Tuesday there was the congressional hearing, then Wednesday was the EPA public hearing in Michigan. We've talked uh, this week uh, from the, with the ethanol industry about their thoughts on uh, what was said and done and where we may go from here. We're going to check in next with the biodiesel industry because they certainly uh, are very much impacted by this, in some ways maybe even more so. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, will join us next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, credenced soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized credenced retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, here we are, 1st of November. The weather has felt like November or December, or in some cases January, in some places for some time now. But here we finally turn that calendar page to November. Don't forget to set those clocks back an hour, fall back an hour this weekend. I want to mention that coming up on Monday, we will have a look at uh, these new hemp rules that have been released. We know a lot of curiosity and interest by some in hemp, not everyone, but uh, 
Uh, quite a few folks in different states have already kind of gotten into hemp production or are looking at it, seriously considering it, have a curiosity about it. Uh, so these new rules have been, uh, been we've been waiting for them for some time. Those in the uh, that are interested in growing hemp have been wanting those rules more clarity. Do they provide more clarity? Uh, where do we go from here? Does, is this a, a game changer for growing hemp in this country? We'll get into all those questions. We'll talk with uh, an economist with the American Farm Bureau Federation coming up on Monday and uh, go through those uh, new rules and just what they do mean and where uh, what it means going forward for the uh, hemp industry. So that's coming up on uh, Monday. And we'll continue to watch uh, these stories, uh, still watching to see where the Meeting is going to take place, the a signing ceremony, hopefully, for the China deal. Uh, we'll continue to watch the RFS situation and where we go from here on that after the hearings that were held uh, this past week. Uh, do they move the bar forward any at all? We will see. And, uh, of course, the immigration bill that we've talked about, the ag labor bill that we've been watching closely as well. So we'll keep a, a close watch on all of that. We're hoping to hear here in just a moment from Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, because we want to get their thoughts on uh, the hearings that were held this week on the renewable fuel standard. You heard the frustration yesterday, if you were with us, from Jeff Cooper, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, from an ethanol perspective. Uh, they're very concerned, unhappy with uh, the uh, the proposal by EPA and think that, that, as Jeff Cooper called it, a bait-and-switch, not what they were, were led to believe they were going to get, and uh, they believe that the small refinery exemptions are indeed negatively impacting the ethanol industry, and so they have spoken out uh, very loudly about that and very clearly getting their point across in those two hearings that were held this week. So we will see if that moves us forward or not. You know, we talked about this uh, this week, and I'll, I'll just, well, we'll wait to see if Donnell's going to join us or not. I want to just mention this. On so many of these issues, we're waiting to see what will Congress do. We know Congress right now, as much of the country, is caught up in this whole impeachment situation, and regardless of which side of that issue you stand on, obviously it's, it's sucking a lot of the political oxygen out of uh, Washington, D.C. right now. And, and Congress has to show they can do other things as well. And there's some important issues uh, that uh, need to be addressed. And we, we talked about this uh, yesterday, whether it's uh, the immigration issue or infrastructure or the RFS. There are so many things that if Congress would just work together and, and step in and come up with something to address these issues, we could move forward. But instead... Uh, we get caught in this gridlock and this uh, partisanship that continues to go on, and things do not move forward and do not get done. And we're still waiting to see leadership, I think. And, and this isn't speaking on one side or the other, because I, I say this all the time. I, I, I don't see either party being able to take any moral high ground here. I think both have been lacking in leadership, and we need to see uh, work together to move the country forward. And until we see that, we're just going to keep spinning our wheels. So we need Congress to do its job, basically. 
A lot of these RFS questions could have been cleared up if Congress would step in and close loopholes and, and, and clear up gray areas. And we see that in so many things uh, today that aren't getting done because we need more direction, we need more guidance from from Congress, and we're just not getting it. We're, we've become so much caught in this uh, pointing fingers and have political agendas, and uh, it's more about uh, party politics rather than it is what's best for the country. Now, I think there's a lot of frustration by many of us that this goes on, but yet uh, it still goes on, and we have to find a way to move past that. So maybe seeing a bipartisan uh, uh, ag worker bill, maybe that's the step in the right direction. Uh, as uh, Jim Baer with the U.S. Apple Association said, that's kind of the way we used to see things get done, uh, work out some kind of a bipartisan uh, approach to something, uh, whatever the issue may be, and then push it forward. Now, it remains to be seen if this bill can get through the House, let alone what can, let they come up with in the Senate, but at least it's a step to show they can work together and put something together on an important issue. We need more of that. We need to hold our members of Congress accountable uh, for doing their job, what we send them to Congress to do. And until we get more action from them, we're not going to, you know, it's easy to blame whoever you want to blame, but ultimately a lot of this falls on their shoulders and, and they're going to have to uh, to work together and, and get some things done. We need to see at least more willingness to, to do that. So we'll see where we go. Um, it's hard to be optimistic about a big change happening, especially in this current political climate, but uh, that's what we certainly need as we move forward. Well, I don't think Donnell is going to be able to join us, so we'll try to catch him another time and get the biodiesel perspective uh, on this RFS issue. I mean, it's it's still a real battle. Um, I have concerns here. As I've said before, I call it good cop, bad cop. The president talks about his uh, great support for the biofuels industry, but then he has an agency, the EPA, that goes seemingly counter to what his public comments are, so they play off of each other. Uh, the president says one thing, EPA does another thing at some point. As I've said before, I think the president, as the boss, has to step do it, and we haven't seen that happen uh, yet, at least based on his public comments and the actions that are being taken. So I think there's another area, and I know the biofuels industry is really trying to hold their feet to the fire on this as uh, they work through these issues. Well, okay, with that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks to Kirsten Rawl, our producer, uh, for uh, handling all the all the controls today, and we look forward to seeing you again next week right here on AOA. Have a great weekend. Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Pancho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions.